90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how you doing? Pretty good, John. How about you? Oh, not too bad. It's been a uh, relatively busy week and a little bit of thunderstorms up here, so it's pretty unusual for this part of the country. Ooh, yeah. That's really exciting. Um, I had a busy day today because I found out that, as I was reading in the International Journal of Systematic and Evolutionary Microbiology, they... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's, it's my normal reading. They named a bacterian after something that every nerd can get on board with. And what's that? <laughs> uh, they named it Candidatus mitochloria mitochondriae. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I rewatched the uh, the new Star Wars trailer in honor of this new little bacteria that is named after mitochlorians. <laughs> Very nice. I know that there's been a lot of buzz about that trailer and uh, a lot of speculation about how their new little droid... Uh, works and keeps you know the head upright kind of the rolling soccer ball looking droid mm-hmm. yep uh, yep yeah it's, it's pretty exciting <laughs> lots of fun stuff going on around that trailer right now i love it that um i mean even in the deepest depths of serious hardcore biological sciences you can't get away from star wars <laughs> no i think people will find a way to sneak it into lots yeah. of different fields eventually <laughs> uh, yeah exactly it's pretty wonderful i hope this little guy gets really famous because that's pretty spectacular (laughs) but have you done anything more useful than i have this week (laughs) well i've been doing a a lot of troubleshooting on a couple little systems and it's actually been kind of a windy road uh, trying to find little problems in complex systems and it's uh (laughs) it's been a challenge um i feel like that's where i would fail at coding or anything else is once something breaks down like i just don't have the patience to go through and search every single thing to find it but have you been successful Uh, so far it's taken a while Uh, the example (laughs) today was i had three identical units of which two worked perfectly and one failed sometimes (laughs) and uh, so as you can imagine uh, i ended up setting these up and taking just very careful sets of notes as to what was happening and eventually was able to track down the problem that way See, now that's it only something took all afternoon. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have taken me even longer because we're going to talk about this today, note taking, and it's something I need to work on. And clearly you have a better grasp of it than I do, but it's something as a scientist you really need to master to be able to do your work efficiently, especially with something like troubleshooting. Yeah, note taking actually can be really important for lots of reasons, both to document your research Uh, so you don't lose things or get confused yourself. Also, it's important to document what you're doing, maybe even for legal purposes, depending on your field. I mean, I know that inventions are now first to file, not, um, you know, first to invent. Right. Uh, But still, you need to make sure that you have a record of what happened when, because you never know when it could be important. Uh, Exactly. I can't tell you the number of times when I worked in the petroleum industry that we actually would get locked out of our computers while legal teams were searching through our files and through our emails. And I'll tell you what, if you had your stuff in order, you got locked out for a lot less time, and that meant less time working at home. So we all learned very quickly to develop a good, you know, organizational system. So when that happened, which it frequently does, 
you know, we didn't waste a lot of time on it. Yeah. Well, and there's note taking really, to me, it used to be simple and now it's becoming more complicated because (laughs) now we have some really great digital tools for note taking. And I'm torn between my love of quality pen and paper and these new (laughs) digital techniques. This is so funny to me because not only do you and I talk about this ad infinitum, (laughs) but um, (laughs) my friend Lisa and I do as well. And we're at the same quandary. Like, how do you, we both lived by our analog paper planners all of our lives. So now with all this, you know, we both have iPads that we carry around most of the time. And, you know, I know you carry yours around. Probably you sleep with it too, but. <laughs> I put it in my Scott E vest and yep. really that's about the only time it's, when it's charging or when I'm asleep, it's about the only time it's not with me. Exactly. So like, how do you, and I mean, how do you decide? This is really hard for me and I'm still not convinced. So I will be eager to hear from everyone out there listening what they think as we talk about, you know, how we take notes and maybe what some good ideas are. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be some people that are just, you know, screaming at their phone because we did not cover their favorite technique or their favorite <laughs> note-taking supplies. Uh, send those in, and Absolutely. we will definitely uh, mention them or play it if it's an audio comment. <laughs> That's right, because it's one thing that John and I love to do is buy new stuff to try out, so <laughs> we will both take yes, care of Yes, Shannon that. and I are pushers on each other oh, in terms of technology. It's the worst enabling uh, relationship ever. <laughs> Right. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting you said that you use paper for planning your day because that is the one thing that I am very comfortable in pushing off to digital systems. Really? Like, what do you mean? Like your calendar or? Calendar, to-dos, all of that all goes into very specific digital boxes. We talked a little bit about it during the the apps show. Right, I said I use OmniFocus. uh, but then I just use the calendar app as well, and I'm very comfortable putting what I need to get done uh, in a digital system. But when it comes to doing that work and cataloging what I've done, that's where things get a little fuzzy for me. All right, so this is where I do get on the digital bandwagon. Um, I said my everyday thing, I use a pen and paper. That's mostly for like to-do lists. Um, I actually started using a thing called a bullet journal. And so we'll have a link to this in the show notes. It's just sort of this note-taking system on pen and paper. And I think the point is really to cash in on the satisfaction you get from making a little box on your to-do list and then checking it off. But the bullet journal is, (laughs) I mean, everyone loves that, right? But the bullet journal is a little different because it has sort of tiers of importance. So there's your daily to-do list, there's your monthly to-do list, and then sort of like a... I'll get around to it to-do list. Um, But you can go on YouTube and watch how they do these bullet journals. And I've really liked that. But what I don't like about it is the calendar. Because I just don't carry that journal around with me. And the one thing I do carry around with me everywhere is my phone. Yeah, I mean, this is where... And also, you know, the physical paper can't uh, buzz or make a ding and remind you that you have a meeting in 30 minutes, which is why I love the calendars. I've gotten so used to it. Do you just use the calendar like on your iPhone? Because I know you have Apple all the way across. So is that what you do or? Yeah, I I have my calendar synced through iCloud. And then I either use the stock calendar app 
or Fantastical uh, to actually put events in and get reminders. Uh, oh. Fantastical, I think we may have talked about it, as the one where you can kind of type in natural language. So it's a lot easier to dictate an event to the phone if you're walking somewhere uh, oh, and not okay. be one of those people that, you know, falls in an access hole cover <laughs> while oh, you're typing right. on your phone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that needs to happen more often, I think. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I've gotten really addicted to the beep. Like, I'm all in. Like, I just set my phone down and I ignore it, and then it beeps. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that meeting. So I don't know if I could, I don't think I could migrate back to a paper calendar as much as I try and as I want to. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I haven't quite. I just use the Samsung calendar on my phone, but I haven't quite. In, gotten totally happy with that either so if anyone has any cool calendar apps that are android and everything else let us know <laughs> yeah well and i know I mean, one thing that i really wanted to talk about because i'm sure a lot of people listening either well no matter where you are if you're a student you're going to classes most likely or you're studying for some large exams say your comprehensive exams or something mm -hmm. uh or if you're a professional, you have to go to meetings regularly, be they faculty meetings or meetings at work, and you're going to have to take notes. And there are lots of different ways to do that. Uh, you mentioned bullet journaling as being kind of a note-taking system. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of other systems that are out there. So I thought maybe we should uh, go over a few of those and see what we each use. Uh, yeah, I totally agree, because this, this bullet journal thing, I'm just getting used to it, and it's mostly sort of a task management, as opposed to sitting in a meeting, and being as how, you know, this is my, I'm trying to get into the groove of this whole professor thing, I have a lot of meetings with different contexts, and I haven't quite decided, just like you said, what the best way to like go about taking notes that are meaningful at a later date are yet. So I'm really excited to talk about sort of some of these ideas on how you can do that. Yeah, and I've experimented with a lot of these systems, and kind of my conclusion was, though they each have their strengths and weaknesses, in the end, it doesn't really matter which one you end up settling on as long as you pick a system and use it consistently. So you always know what format your notes are going to be in, where you're going to go look for something. Okay, yeah, and I think I'm still trying to decide on that, but... Maybe some of these, um, have you have you decided on one that you really like the best that you want to talk about first? Well, so generally for, like, if I'm in a class, I use old-fashioned outlining, uh, which is <laughs> probably the oldest technique around. Uh, I do modify it a little bit with some sketch notes, which we can talk about a little bit later, uh, but it depends on the class. So this kind of hierarchical structure works really well if you have a professor that is giving a structured presentation. You know, if they've taught this <laughs> class many times and they can teach it in their sleep, they have a very structured outline, that is great for taking this style of notes. But, but. if you have a more interactive class, yeah, which, I mean, is probably better for learning in the end. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but don't they it know it's work. wreaking havoc on your note-taking? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it really depends on the instructor and the class or the meeting style. Uh, I find that outlining works really well for meetings, say, with my advisor. Okay. So how do you, you know, how do you go into outlining without knowing sort of what's happening, you know, in the future? <laughs> 
So that's where digital has the distinct advantage. Ah, I see With digital, now. <laughs> yes, you, you can, uh, for example, in Omni Outliner or even in some of the writing apps, like the penultimate app, uh, you can actually cut things and drag them around and reorganize, which is really nice. And that's one thing about the uh, writing, actual writing digital notes, like on an iPad, right? that's really attractive, is there have been so many times where I've been taking notes and I've said, ah, I need, you know, an inch more space yep. to finish this. And on paper, it was either erase and redraw that whole section or, you know, squish it in somewhere and draw lots of arrows. <laughs> Whereas on the iPad, you draw a circle around it, hit lasso and you drag it and it's moved. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I totally see the value in that as well, since you can't read your scrunched up handwriting in the margin of your paper. So yeah, I've had that happen a lot. <laughs> yeah. And also, like say you're going through a textbook, trying to learn something, you're going through a paper. That's already pretty well organized. So outlining works relatively well there. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have to be careful that you don't rewrite the book in your notebook. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. that you extract the right points, but that you capture enough of the content that you can look at it later and know, you know, the important points. Uh, distill it down. Don't miss too many subtleties that will come back and, you know, be a trap later. <laughs> so that's, that's the difficult part. Yes, exactly. I'm paralyzed by the thought of like, you know, not categorizing something under its proper place in the outline. So I actually haven't ever done this digitally, but it makes perfect sense that the reorganization, you know, it makes it a good digital technique to use. But I mean, the problem with that too is, you know, when do you do this reorganizing? Afterwards, are you going to actually miss some salient points while you're trying to mess with your, you know, outline structure. That seems to me like something that would happen to me. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there are definitely some either meetings or classes that go fast enough that you just have to madly write <laughs> as fast as you can best. and probably use some kind of shorthand uh, just to get everything down on a page and then go back later and rewrite your notes. Uh, that does take a lot of time. But I did find an interesting study at Dunlosky et al. 2013, and I'll put it in the, the show notes, um, that basically said highlighting, underlining, and rereading are completely ineffective. Well, that's good, because I always told people that I thought highlighting was the most ridiculous thing ever. Ever. Yes. Now, the only time I highlight is if there's something that I think is going to be a huge... You know, if you miss this point, you're going to do every single problem wrong and have this <laughs> chapter conceptually wrong. So there might be one or two places in a book that I have highlighted as this is super important and you don't want to miss this. Right, right. And I, I, I do stars or little asterisks out to the side of those areas. Um, I just, I can't believe whoever invented the highlighter and sort of perpetuated this use of, you know, different highlighting colors for definitions versus keywords versus, you know, I mean, that's brilliant marketing. I will give you that. But I loved that this uh, sort of backed up my original thoughts that highlighting was crap. So that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, you know, we just said that outlining wasn't really useful for things like math textbooks, 
Uh, oh, right. Exactly. You're, you're working problems and working with a lot of abstract concepts. Uh, highlighting also, I, I've seen some people highlighting in calculus books, and it just doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> seem to do it for me. Uh, <laughs> maybe there's a few people that it works for, though. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I really don't understand it at all. For me, just rewriting is sort of something that helps me learn, but I'm a tactile learner, you know. But what you've mentioned before, I know we've talked about a little on this show, but I want you to say, again, is about these sketch notes, because not everyone is a tactile learner. People are visual learners, and sort of these sketches are really intriguing to me. Okay, yeah. So sketch notes... uh... I think, I don't know if Microde initiated the idea or not, but he has definitely, he wrote a book about it and a workbook about it. And I've got those. And this, the idea is you draw pictures and diagrams to represent the ideas that you're hearing and the connections between them. And if you are writing words, you're writing them in some kind of, you know, creative typography that (laughs) reinforces the idea, uh, which that appeals to me because it's typography. Uh, (laughs) right and (laughs) i think it's a little hard to apply directly you know in a classroom or in a scientific talk because a lot of those ideas may not lend themselves to a simple sketch uh, right like ideas in a business meeting might not saying that business ideas are simple but they can be represented (laughs) a lot more easily no we heard that uh, loud and clear (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, but they can be represented a lot more easily than tomography or something. <laughs> That's true. I mean, well, seismic stuff is all just squiggly lines, so that lends itself to that too. So we could do that <laughs> as well. <laughs> but that's really, I'm, it's. I'm, do you find that it takes a long time to do that? These sketch notes, is it something you do while it's actually taking place? Is it something you go back and do to help you remember or... So I've been doing it while it's taking place. And the one place that this really has worked for me is during the department colloquium every week. <laughs> because you have more time to do it? Is that why? Or well, why is it? Why does it lend itself to that? It's a lower stress situation. Okay. In yep, terms of I'm not, I'm not being tested on this material. Right. Uh, and generally it is a talk that is out of my specific field. I mean, we have very few earthquake mechanics talks uh, because, you know, there are a very limited number of people interested in that. So we spread (laughs) around uh, all the topics. So we'll have, uh, you know, paleontology people, we'll have geochemists, uh, we'll have structural geologists. And generally, a sketch is about as deep as I can go into a lot of those ideas. (laughs) I never thought about that. That's pretty good, actually. Um, the less you know about it, the probably the easier it is to do. Hmm. Yeah, and I, what I do is I take a little notebook with me and a pencil or a pen. Uh, I've been doing pen lately because I feel adventurous. And, yeah, that's that's uh, rough. Sketching in pen? Ooh. Well, yeah. anyway. <laughs> and then I'll just draw out uh, kind of the ideas as they go along and the connections and it actually does help you if you look back at those notes and you go through your sketches, you can kind of put the story back together in your mind, at least to the order that you understood it. Uh, and that's that's a point that I feel is really cool about this, is that you might not have the vocabulary to describe some of these concepts, but if you're sketching it, I mean, it's going to provide the same, like, 
mental links when you go back to look at it. I think that's really neat. Well, yeah, and when I draw, you know, a graph, like a sketch of a graph that was in a talk, if it's a geochemistry talk and they're showing, you know, Dell something on an axis, uh, some kind of isotope data, that I don't know what that means, but they verbally say, you know, higher this isotope means colder climate. I and it I that is my graph axis colder warmer <laughs> and because there's no way I'm going to remember what a change in you know some isotope of oxygen means uh, right but no, if I redraw that awesome. graph in a meaningful way to me it helps mm-hmm. or you could have drawn like an O with little icicles but yeah now I get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no that that's exactly what they're talking about and even if you can't take your class notes like this, because you probably need to be more specific in class notes, right. uh, you can augment your class notes with these. I'm, if you have a chance to do some sketches, that's great. I like to think <laughs> that my friend Val and I have done this for quite some time, because when I look back at all my old meteorology notes, we have quite a lot of drawings in there, <laughs> specifically when we were talking about... <laughs> you know, baroclinic or barotropic, which are these, you know, <laughs> meteorology terms. I remember she sketched a little bear sitting on a beach with a palm tree. <laughs> so that was barotropic. <laughs> and right. I'll never forget it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so see, I was way ahead of my time and I didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. In preparation for the show, I was looking back through some of my notes and I found in a thermodynamics notebook uh, where I had... It was one of the early, it may have been Boyle or somebody, uh, a little stick figure Boyle drawn. And when he had an idea, uh, there was a candle above his head, not a light bulb, because this was before <laughs> light bulbs. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice. hope that candle was calibrated. <laughs> it, it was a calibrated candle. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really... So yeah, sketch is, notes are one way to do it. This is the one that I'm super excited about, actually, because I find the more that I teach my field geology course the more sketches I'm doing just at outcrops and things and the more sketches I make my students do and it's kind of a neat idea I think I I really like this idea a lot so um that's one that I'm definitely going to take moving forward out of this it it's a great idea for colloquiums most of us have to be in a colloquium once a week I think it's a good place to try it yeah and I mean, really, it's worth going online and searching sketch notes because there are people who are dedicated to this methodology that have entire blogs of every time they take notes, they do it in sketch oh notes, and they take pictures of it and post it for you. And that's... you can get some really good ideas. That's really awesome. I mean, and the whole point of like finding a way to take notes is connecting concepts, right? Right. Okay, so the whole idea of this note show is to help people understand different ways of taking notes so they can optimize, you know, making connections from all the things they're doing throughout the day, right? Like every little meeting they go to, every class they go to, you want to connect these ideas so it's useful to you later. It's not just something you consumed and then forgot about. Right. And there's one other note-taking style of actual, well traditional notes, I guess, that uh, I had in the outline, and that's the Cornell method. And it works really well at trying to make these connections and synthesize the information. But I must admit, I've never actually tried this one, but it looks interesting. If I were still taking classes, I think I would. 
Right. Yeah. And well, I'm in the same uh, I'm in the same boat there as well. I hadn't I'd seen seen things like this, but I'd never actually knew it had a name or sort of, you know, used it on my own. But yeah, I mean, so the idea is you can either take your own paper and do this or, of course, now somebody sells special paper with the lines already drawn on it. Uh <laughs> And Imagine you can that buy paper it with lines, <laughs> right? Uh, you can buy it digitally as well. So, for example, if you're using any of the iPad note-taking apps, uh, you can get Cornell Method paper hmm. in those apps. Okay. Um, basically, the idea is you've got a skinny column on the left and a row across the bottom, a box across the bottom, and then a wide column on the right side of the paper. So in the right column, you're writing your notes like you normally would. So things off the board, things off slides, whatever. And then in the left column, you write key points, uh, you know, kind of what the main message, so one or two points for what the main message on that page of notes is. And that's supposed to help you as you're, you know, thumbing through your notes trying to find a topic, you can just look for when it shows up in the key points and you know you're in the right area. Right, right. And uh, then the bottom of the page, you're supposed to write a short summary of what's there. And this, to me, seems like it could get a little uh, monotonous and redundant if you're doing that on every single page of notes. But maybe you're taking dense enough notes that that's necessary. Yeah, I could see that. Um, But so now you've alluded to this. I've definitely already said it before. The way I studied was just literally recopying my notes. And I don't know if this would get enough information just for my specific way of learning. Yeah, and I mean, I did that too, for sure. Uh, when I was trying to learn what all of the terms in you know, the vorticity equation meant and how to derive <laughs> it, uh, the only way for me to do that was to take the notes and rewrite them in different ways each time. So I didn't just straight recopy, but I would format it differently or, you know, just regurgitating the information to myself over and over, over, and over until I understood the concepts and finally I could internalize it. So if you don't know what the vorticity equation is, you should go look this up. It's the only equation I ever actually had to turn my notebook sideways to write the whole thing. So, yeah. yes. I remember I'm... driving it on a final and it, it was uh, long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so... Our, our sort of last sort of thing that we talk about, and I really like this one a lot too, actually, um, is one of these more sort of, I don't, I don't want to say esoteric, but it's a different way of thinking about stuff, and it's this thing called mind mapping. Yeah, and I actually tried this to plan out a recent talk that I gave, and it was a very enjoyable experience. <laughs> I remember you telling me about it when this happened, and I thought, that is really, really cool. Like, the pictures <laughs> of it, and just, like, looking at it, it seems really neat. Especially, you know, like you say, like, if you're trying to, it's really useful if you're the one that's recording stuff at a meeting, and you have more than one person trying to talk and trying to get their thoughts across. I really like this idea, too. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of the idea is you would draw bubbles and connect them to each other, and then those bubbles connect to sub-bubbles, which could connect to sub-bubbles or sub-sub-bubbles if you were insane. Uh, <laughs> I remember actually doing this um, a long time ago in my freshman English class. 
Um, and we did it because we were talking about the origins of jazz music. And so that the origins of jazz are really diverse and it came from, and like what jazz music has spun off. So you don't even really think of like jazz and hip hop together, but by doing this mind mapping with this class that was really diverse, you know, there actually are connections and you wouldn't have seen them any other way. Like we couldn't have said these words out loud and got them, but these like little thought bubbles that we used to make this conceptual map made some of these connections. They seemed rather obvious and it's something that none of us would have ever thought of before. So I think this is really useful, especially maybe if you're trying to, if you're stuck in an idea and you need some help, maybe seeing a new direction or like seeing it from a new angle i really like this method oh yeah well and when you were saying that it reminded me of i think didn't jack black have a mind map of the different types of rock on the board <laughs> in right. school of rock he did. <laughs> i swear i'm not getting that confused we really did that in class <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i think that's it's, it's a great thought. concept and the the wonderful thing about it for me is you when you think of something you put it down and you don't necessarily have to worry about where it's going to go in the structure. You just kind of brain dump, and then you start organizing things and putting things in groups, and you say, okay, well, that group didn't really work, so you break it apart. And you said that taking a different angle to your, you know, the data that you have in front of you, Mm -hmm. and really, at least for me, my initial mind maps have absolutely no angle, and that's the wonderful part, (laughs) because they're just a bunch of words all around. And then you can play with different perspectives until you get uh, ideas that are forming in these groups that start making a logical story or a logical path for you to follow. Right. Uh, um, this is really hard. I mean, I joke about not being organized, but I do have quite a bit of OCD about organization. And <laughs> this one I think is like, it should be like a therapist tool for like breaking you out of your psychotic need to organize things because it's literally just like a mind barf and i think that does people good like it becomes organized eventually and it definitely lends itself to the digital platform um but it's what i try to do whenever i know that i'm getting too entrenched in my ways and really need to just back off not have structure and do this it's it's really fun and I, I would love if I could do it in 3D, where I have a Z-axis to play with, too. <laughs> where your bubbles are just floating in air, and you can touch them and drag them wherever you want. And... I, I basically need a holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard. That's the first thing John's going to do when he gets a holodeck. He's not going to visit dinosaur times. He's not going to visit the future. <laughs> He's going to make a 3D mind map of some dorky circuitry. <laughs> Um, I'm all in. That's absolutely true. (laughs) Yeah. And so this actually, uh, I'm going to call an audible and go slightly off, (laughs) off the outline here, uh, because this, this led me to think of a question of when you're taking notes, do you have one notebook that you carry around and you dump all of your notes in it in whatever order they come? And then afterwards you process that. Or are you the person that has a bag that weighs 80 pounds because you have 50 moleskin notebooks in it, (laughs) one for each topic, and, you know, you have to dig and find the right notebook, and then you write in that notebook? It's like you know me really well. (laughs) (laughs) 
because that's exactly who I am. You already know that. (laughs) (laughs) Moleskines are so expensive, but it's so true. Um, I'm that person. I can't physically bring myself to like tear pages out to recombine at a later date. And I tried taking them all in one and I was like, we'll just do it chronologically. That's how they're ordered. They're ordered chronologically. If I go to a meeting, fine. If I have a research meeting, fine. If I talk to my advisor, they all go in this one notebook. And then I would index the notebook, which actually worked pretty well. Right. But the problem is I remember the fact that I had a research meeting a lot easier than I remember the fact that I had a research meeting two weeks ago. (laughs) So the chronological thing (laughs) didn't quite work. The indexing there was key. And there's a lot of that in the bullet journal. Um, That's the best part about a bullet journal. And so I'll let you guys go to the the YouTube video about that if you're interested in that. Um, But yeah, I found that I've, I've started doing individual moleskins for every for say (laughs) talks that I go to and then work meetings and then work meetings about this other thing and then research meetings with my students so yeah that's me um which is where Evernote comes in (laughs) yeah digital helps there for sure uh yeah yeah my shoulders though are getting pretty buff I will say (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I've been playing with for classes, I've always had separate notebooks. I never could do right. it in one notebook. Yeah, loose leaf helped, sure, because then you don't have to tear pages out. Right. But yeah, I, I was the person with all the moleskins, too. Um, and I still am to some extent. But I have two notebooks in my bag daily now that are not project-specific. They are chronological Oh, okay. Well, I I do too, and one of them is my bullet journal. What's yours? Okay, so I use little bitty notebooks, like pocket size notebooks for this. And one of them is just, it says daily notes on the front, and it is anything that I need to write down during the day. If I'm looking at data and I need to write down like some file names real quick, I jot them down in there. When I'm done, I cross them out. That page is gone. I forget about that it ever existed. Uh, if also I run to somebody in the hallway and they tell me something that I want to remember that's not a to-do, I'll write write it down in there, and that evening I'll look through my notes for the day and you know see what I need to do with that stuff. So when this notebook gets full, I go through it, and 90% of the stuff I never need to see again, and I cross it out. 10% of the stuff I need again, and I will scan it or take a picture of it, and then the notebook goes in my drawer and probably will never see the light of day until I have to move offices. <laughs> I like this. Okay, so you go back later and you index stuff that's important, which is kind of the idea behind the bullet journal too. And it forces you to sort of prioritize, right? I mean, you're, you've got all this stuff to write down. And so instead of finding yourself in the field of never or a sea of never ending sticky notes... <laughs> You've got this one right. notebook that you do this with. I do mine with a little bitty moleskin, but I'd never actually thought of like going back and indexing it somewhere in the end. And I really like this idea because you don't always have the correct moleskin <laughs> with you right. when you get pulled into a meeting or something like that, right? Well, and looking through my notes that are in my current one, uh, very little of this is profound. Uh <laughs> 
there's a lot of things. Like, I had a few ideas for some blog posts. So I wrote them down. Uh, then they went into blog post drafts, and, you know, I don't need that page anymore. Uh, so it would be silly for me to have it in a blog moleskin that I'm going to preserve forever. Uh, right. Or some right. quick calculations that I did, like back-of-the-envelope calculations to prove to myself that I wasn't a crazy person when I was looking at some data. Uh, once I proved <laughs> that to myself, you know, I, I don't need those again. Right. Exactly. Um, this is such a good idea. I really like it. Um, I would suggest something not as expensive as Moleskine's, but <laughs> you use yeah. these little field notes things, which we've talked about before. And I see these everywhere now. They're at every little, like, cute little kit shop. They're kind of awesome. Yeah. Draplin Design Company's field notes. Uh, you can subscribe to them. Uh if you have a problem like me and wait, what (laughs) you never told me about this. (laughs) Yeah. So there's subscription service either through them or uh, I think through them, or you can just have Amazon send them when, you know, every couple months I need another pack. This is $9 for a pack of three. We're going to have to wrap this episode up because I got some shopping to do now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, And they're so cheap. I don't feel bad about at the end, you know, if I need to lop the, the binding off with the big paper, thing in the in the copy room mm-hmm. and make scans of a couple pages I, d- I don't feel bad about it oh that is this is great i mean uh, and do they come in so i know what's cool about moleskines is that they come in all different sort of paper flavors right graph paper blah 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 but these field notes do too right of course <laughs> yes <laughs> i i already knew the answer to that that was a total setup i i know that there is no way you would settle for anything less than <laughs> no uh i i go for the dot pages so the dot grid so it's not a full which actually graph surprises paper. me i would have i would have pegged you as a full graph paper kind of guy but <laughs> generally but i kind of like the dot grids because if i'm writing things and not drawing graphs it it gets out of the way okay uh, i i can see that so the other notebook that I carry that's chronological is also a field notes. And it's got a little bit of neglect from me recently. I need to get back into the habit. <laughs> uh, but it's a waste book. And I don't know, have you ever heard of the idea of waste books? No. So, <laughs> But I'm intrigued. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's see. George Lichtenberg. I think was the first person that was doing these. And he had these notebooks, you know, a scientist that, uh, in fact, he was an experimental physicist. Uh, and of course makes him even cooler. The, yeah. Well, and they were notebooks that he basically said, I'm going to write whatever is in my head, whatever crazy idea I have, whether it's crazy or not, it's going to go in these books and they're mostly junk. So they're called waste books. And so I have this notebook, and it's a waste book. It says idea waste book on the front. And any time that some crazy idea comes into my head, uh, I was trying to do a few a day just to kind of get the idea engine going. Mm -hmm. Uh, You write it down. And it can be something that's totally not feasible, but it's okay. Write it down. And when you look back over that, when you fill the notebook up, you'll pull out a couple of good ideas that, who knows, I mean, they could be your next proposal. That's really cool um i mean this sounds like a lot of notebooks but i really like it i like that idea because you know you've got your crazy notebook stuff your daily stuff your meeting stuff i mean 
it's kind of how I roll, but it feels like I'm wasting an opportunity in terms of digital organization with all this stuff, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I carry the two small ones and then one kind of not large format, but medium format notebook in my bag. And so I don't feel bad about that because that's not a whole lot of space. And then I do have some digital notes, you know, like the smart pins that we've talked about. Uh, or actually, those are just styluses. There are smart pins, uh, like the LiveScribe and those things, you know, where you can write on paper and it somehow, with the special paper, uh, digitally huh. gives you a copy of the notes. So you have paper and digital, Magic. which to me seems a little bit like a waste. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really strange. Um, yeah, and uh, nope, I'm sorry. I was shopping this. I was shopping these field notes pages, and I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Okay, so we've talked about all this, and I'm super pleased since I'm the non-technology person that mostly what we're talking about are you know good old notebooks and pencils and pens. <laughs> so. <laughs> More specifically, and I know we could go on and on forever, but what do you carry with you? Okay, so with me, I have two field notes, one Moleskin Evernote Edition notebook, and it's Evernote Edition right now. That's not a stipulation. It's just what I happen to have blank in my desk drawer when I ah. filled my last notebook. Okay. Uh, and then I carry a... Lamy Safari fountain pen that's filled with Noodler's black ink. <laughs> and then I carry Palomino Blackwing 602 pencils. And then I carry a 0.5 millimeter mechanical pencil. Okay. That is. And generally a ballpoint pen because if anybody has forms that they want you to fill out and you whip out a fountain pen and then they smear the forms, they get unhappy. Yeah, and you don't want anyone asking you for a pen and you handing over your your fountain pen. Not not cool. One of my committee members made fun of me in my progress review <gasps> a few weeks ago because they needed a pen to sign. I pulled that out and they said, of course you have a fountain pen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why we're friends. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Um, so that's really funny because, you know, as much as you badger me about technology, this is, sounds very similar to what I carry around. So Okay, so what's, what's in your bag every day? So I have my bullet journal, which is a regular size moleskine journal, and it's sort of the daily to-do list with the monthly to-do list. Um, and then I carry around a baby moleskine, like it's about the field note size, um, that's sort okay. of my jotting down notebook. I've never actually thought about indexing it, so that's what I'm going to start doing um, when I'm done with it. But so I carry that thing around just in case because it can go in my pocket. And so just exactly. in case, like today, <laughs> this actually happened. I actually got whisked into another meeting <laughs> in the middle of a meeting <laughs> I was already in. <laughs> and I had put my notebook in my pocket. And I was like, thank God I did that. <laughs> like, and so the notes from that secondary inception sort of meeting <laughs> are in my little moleskine. <laughs> and then um, actually I use a, it's just a ballpoint pen, but it's a pen that my friend made for me like she had her husband lathe it and it's like this special pattern and it's this handmade pen so i use that i've refilled it a thousand times i use it wow. every day super awesome um 
it's it's the best thing ever. It's not a fountain pen, but obviously it's super great. And it looks like coffee, which is my favorite thing (laughs) (laughs) next to beer. So that's good. Um, And then let's see, I have a 0.5 millimeter mechanical pencil as well. And I've actually started going back to the good old uh, just regular Dixon Ticonderoga pencils. Yeah. I know. (laughs) I mean, I I like those. The only reason I like the Palomino Blackwings are that they're a little bit darker in their writing. They are, and I don't like that. I want to be able to fix my mistakes with an eraser. <laughs> so <laughs> so I like sort of the lighter the lighter issue. And I find that my son has a plethora of just regular wooden pencils lying around. So today I know I got called out because I was using a puppies and kitties with hearts pencil that he gave me. <laughs> 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 but, you know, whatever works. <laughs> Well, I mean, and this is all, of course, in addition to, like we already talked about, our iPads and our stylus. Right, iPads, right? right, exactly. And I, I think, I feel like we're both sort of still trying to figure out where that fits in, but it just warms my fuzzy little Luddite heart that, <laughs> 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 that we're still in the age where notebooks are, you know, super high-end and expensive and something that people put a lot of thought and everything into. I mean, we've been talking for 45 minutes now about them, and I think we could talk for three more days. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I think there's a whole nother show to be had in how digital note-taking fits into our workflow. We've talked about digital notes a little bit, so maybe not for a while until we actually can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I don't, I don't feel like we have a good handle on that yet. And I know I will talk a lot about Evernote, and I know you've been trying a couple more, but um, for now, yeah, all hail the, the regular notebooks. Yeah, and uh, so I guess there's another show, uh, Technical Difficulties, that they're not recording anymore right now. They're on a hiatus, uh, which they've had several in their past, but they had an episode called The Pin is Mindier, and it was a lot of the conversation that we've been having. Uh, they went on for a lot longer. I think it was a, probably approaching a two-hour show. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we have to cut some stuff out because I know we'll have an, an off-air fight about what mechanical pencils we like. <laughs> yeah, and we've, we've already cut a decent amount in these these notes to get the show down to this. Uh, But this is a group of people having a discussion about pens, paper, and how they preserve their notes. Do they scan? Do they slash and burn? Do they, you know, how do they do this? So if what we've been talking about interests you and you want to hear some more perspectives from other people that have crazy systems as well, uh, you should go to the show notes. There'll be a link. And then if you want more about pen and paper, uh, I also put a link in the show notes to the Pen Addict podcast, which we've mentioned a couple times now, I think. Oh, this one. Yeah, this one just blows my mind. (laughs) Um, There are some expensive pens and pencils out there. Yeah, I think they spend about as much on pens every month as I spend on food. (laughs) And that's only like for two pens, but I digress. Um, Please go check those out. They're super interesting and I know we have enough friends that like to talk about this, and we like to talk about this. People have to have something to say to us about how they organize their lives. So we would love to hear from you. And if you take all of your notes digitally, please tell us how you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I want to get on board with that so bad. 
Oh, you know you'll go crawling back to your moleskins. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> but It's I, probable. <laughs> unless you have anything else major to add, I think we should probably... Uh, wrap this part of the show up i agree because otherwise let's, we're going to be it. losing people you know the, the three yep. listeners that we have <laughs> <laughs> amen um so i know you got a good uh, fun paper friday on wraps for us today yep so everybody's favorite segment of the show fun paper friday yay <laughs> um tell us what you've got on tap for us this week it's it's a really funny yet informative paper. Yeah. So this paper, <laughs> I, I don't remember where I saw the reference to it, and I immediately downloaded it and threw it on our Fun Paper Friday file. Uh, it's called Engineered Surfaces for Mitigation of Insect Residue Adhesion, which initially doesn't tell you much. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do like the term insect residue adhesion as... A fancy way to say bug guts. <laughs> yeah, so this turns out to be about bug splats on airplane wings. And if you have bugs that are getting crushed on the wing as the plane's taking off and landing, they're leaving you know that residue like it's on your windshield when you hit bugs. And <laughs> guts, even, yes. <laughs> yes, the guts. And even a residue that's only four microns tall if it's near the front part of the wing, is enough to disrupt the laminar flow and really decrease the fuel efficiency of the plane. And it, it says that drag reduction through taking care of these laminar flow surfaces uh, can yield, they say, up to a 30% improvement in fuel efficiency. I feel like I read <sighs> somewhere that it was a smaller percentage that was just because of bugs, uh, but I couldn't find that in this paper. Right. Yeah. That's that's an unbelievable thing. This is one of those things where people, I feel like, could mock scientists for doing these studies, bug guts. But, I mean, think about that. 30% fuel efficiency? That's got to translate down to, you know, cheaper airline tickets to the consumer at some point. And that's, that's important. <laughs> well, and reduce carbon emissions and lots of great things. Oh, yeah. Saving the earth, too. That's important. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so some of the references in here, I was amazed that people, I always am with Fun Paper Friday, at what people have characterized, like the percentage of insects, insect strikes uh, that were sufficient to disrupt laminar flow at a certain altitude. Like somebody's already studied that. And somebody's studied six yep. different ways to mitigate the adhesion of the bugs. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, my favorite parts of these are always the experimental apparatus that people have. And <laughs> <laughs> figure two is just classic <laughs> in this paper. <laughs> so it's this little bitty wind tunnel that shoots <laughs> fruit flies <laughs> to try to understand their splatter <laughs> and their effect mm -hmm. on surfaces that they're splattering onto. Yeah, I mean, so basically what they did was take sheets of aluminum, like aircraft aluminum, and coat it with different coatings to see what would produce the least bug splatter. <laughs> and yeah, so like Chance said, they put them in this wind tunnel, and they have this little, it's basically a Venturi <laughs> pump, 
that they drop the insects into, and the insects are rapidly accelerated to takeoff speed of an aircraft. Uh, it says 240 kilometers an hour and slam into the wing. So there's, you can see it. There's like a little gun. <laughs> They're just pumping these poor little Drosophila through. <laughs> um, and I laugh, but I mean, it's it's a really cool setup, and it's got a lot of data in it about, you know, how that affects aerodynamics. Yeah, and I, I was sad. They say that they have high-speed video. In fact, 50,000 frame per second high-speed video. Wow. Of all these impacts, but there's no link. Oh. oh. So I, I'm curious. Uh, maybe we can email the authors and see if they can link a video for us. That'd certainly make this even better. <laughs> for people to look at, yeah. And I mean, they did all kinds of different wind tunnels, different, you know, one fly at a time, multiple flies at a time. Uh, at one point, they were using a fiber optic sensor to trigger the high-speed camera based on when the flies went through a clear tube right before they impacted the wing. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of care in the experimental setup here. And there's a ton of data in this paper, too, because it's not only, you know, what we were just talking about, but then, like John said, the different coatings that you could put on the wings to actually reduce basically your aerial coverage of bug guts. Yeah. And let's see, there's a a figure down here, figure nine, that after they did this in the lab, they went out and took aluminum tape, like basically the real duct tape, uh, (laughs) aluminum adhesive tape, and taped these aluminum panels to the wing of what looks like a Cessna, uh, some kind of small prop airplane, and flew it around at rather (laughs) low altitude and... They actually, after it landed, took sticky notes and marked where all the bug guts were and then measured how high the bug guts were above the aluminum uh, with a field instrument, a field profilometer. Uh, So they did this in the real world, too, not just in the lab. Right, and they used these different different sort of coatings on their duct tape. And you can see a huge difference. All you have to do is glance at this image to see that, you know, some work way better than others at sort of minimizing the gooiness of the bugs as they hit the tape. Yeah. And my my favorite <laughs> statement in this whole paper, because the lab and field experiments were generally in agreement, but there were some things that performed really well in the lab and not so well in the field. Mm-hmm. And they said... Quote, results from controlled experimental settings did not always correspond to those obtained under real operational conditions. <laughs> that is the lament of most experimental <laughs> folks' life. <laughs> I was just going to say, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yes, it's the most common question that I get probably, and the one that I hate answering the most is, how do you think your laboratory results scale? (laughs) Poorly. Next question. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So though lab tests can be informative, and in this case, mostly they were, uh, Mm -hmm. there are still things where you actually have to go out and, in this case, tape aluminum onto a Cessna and fly it around. Exactly. And count bugs. (laughs) And no matter what you're looking at... um, 
whether it's this or sand in an aquarium or anything else, like it just goes to show you how, how much we don't know about the natural world and how truly complex it is despite all our attempts at trying to, you know, come up with experiments and equations to describe it. It's still yeah. dumbfounds us, which is exciting. It is. And so I have one last little news item uh, before we totally close out the show. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the future, but I just wanted to make folks aware of it because it will have already happened by the time the next show comes out. And it has to do with Mercury Messenger. And this is super cool. And I can't wait. <laughs> so Messenger, you know, was this, this great uh, mission. We learned a lot about Mercury, but it's out of fuel now and its orbit is rapidly decaying. And the best estimate that I saw was April 30th is when it will smash into the, the surface, the Mercurian surface, I guess. Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure NASA's going to have some live thing on NASA TV where you can watch the graph uh, and listen to mission people uh, talk about what's going on. But... This is going to make a large crater because it's going to impact, uh, I think the number I saw was 8,400 miles an hour, if you put it in wow. English units. Wow. That's gonna... uh, No, 8,700 miles an hour. Oh, even better. Um, so all this work that goes into this, and I think this is, I like to think this is probably somebody's favorite part, is when you get to smash it into the surface and just make a big hole. Well, I mean, a pretty small probe is going to make, I think they said, uh, something close to a 60-foot crater. And That's awesome. <laughs> the, the best part about this is uh, weathering in space is really poorly understood, and this is going to trap a lot of fresh material that they can then monitor over the years and start to understand space weathering. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It was something, I, and we know so little about Mercury. Like, this is going to be even more exciting. You know, we smash stuff into the moon all the time and Mars all the time, but this is sort of a different beast. You know, Mercury's already basically solid and it hasn't had a lot of recent tectonic activity. And this is really neat to start to learn something else about it. You know, you're going to make a fresh crater. That's really exciting. Yeah. So be sure to keep your eye on NASA's Twitter and all their social media accounts and keep up with that. It should be uh, pretty interesting to watch that unfold. But in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us on Twitter or any other way, Shannon, tell them how they could do that. Okay. Well, you can always email us, show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can send us your audio feedback or leave a comment on our website, www.don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter, at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore lehman and i am at shannon doolin yeah keep those audio comments rolling in uh, we love getting them and love being able to play them for you and <laughs> if you haven't already uh, go over to itunes and submit a review it really helps other people find our show and hello to our new listeners we've got a few it looks like from the recent download numbers so thanks for joining thanks, us you too yay <laughs> <laughs> And until next time, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.
Well, yeah, and I mean, note taken is <clears throat> note taken. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! <laughs> it's okay. You're from Arkansas. <laughs> uh, yeah, it comes out sometimes. 